We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Arsenal confronted with a harsh reality that we've only known for a couple of decades. The refs are terrible. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith, Blackman, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. It is the absolute challenge of a lifetime to talk football and not get roped into refereeing debates and tedious decisions over VAR and tedious decisions over who got what right and conspiracy theories. But like... You know, a video has been going around on Twitter lately of the time Robin Van Persie got sent off against Barcelona for kicking a football a tenth of a second after the whistle. And there are certain moments, a moment like that, that feels so harsh and so unfair that you can't help but focus on it. And I, I, I think for most of us as Arsenal fans this week, we are experiencing a bit of that sorrow, but also that indignant rage of feeling something was taken from us. Whether it was really taken from us in, in the extreme way that maybe that that particular incident was, well, that'll be a debate uh, for this podcast, in fact, and, and for a long time to go. But I think we will also want to make sure that we focus on the positives of the loss to Wolves because, in my view, it was still a, a step in the right direction, a continuation of the, the progress we are making as a team uh, as we absolutely ripped them apart in the first half. And I was... I was thrilled to see it. It's just unfortunate what happened. And so we'll try to parse a complicated game today. And here to do the parsing with me is uh, Chief Parser. Uh, Paul, you can find him in, on Twitter at uh, Parser in my, no, Posnip in my pants. Hello, Pos. Parsnip in my pants. Woohoo! Really? Does that, is that like um, for aroma or for oh, health and well-being? vegetables are in there. You're probably wondering what that bulge was. <laughs> I, I mean, this is not... 
television. This is this is a podcast. So I, I was not wondering, <laughs> but now I am thinking about it, and I am quite disgusted. Uh, also parsing things with me today. Uh, you you might find him parsing somewhat parsimoniously at times. I don't know what that means. His name is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. I, I no root vegetables that I'm aware of in my undergarments at the moment. That that is lovely. Um, you know what's funny is we're actually transitioning the the manscaped advertising to a, another product that could help you if you had root vegetables in your underpants for a while. You may be confused as to how that's the case. You'll find out later. I assure you. And here to parse with me is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P A F C. You can also find him on the Patreon where we recently parsed the first half of Arsenal Wolves. We rewatched it and parsed it thoroughly. Did you enjoy the parsing? And are you ready to parse again, my friend? Hello, hello. Yep, I'm. Uh, it's game. Still hurting me, right? I'm sure he's hurting you. <laughs> I'm not there yet. No amount, no paracetamol is getting rid of this headache. So, um, mm. yeah, look forward to it. Lucky for me, I live in America, so I don't know what paracetamol is. Um, I just take Tylenol, but I, I suspect they may be the same thing. Um, so now that I've said the word parse so many times that it doesn't make any sense, let's dive in. And we're going to try to add a little structure to the podcast. Um, you know, a lot of people have said that they like the instant reaction pods because of their sort of structured approach. We have headlines, stock rising, stock falling. Uh, we're going to try to add some of that into our podcast, although we will still hopefully have the spontaneous chat that, that you hopefully have enjoyed for a long time. But today we'll, we'll try a little something different, see how it goes. The first thing we want to do is just move through the moments of the game, um, you know, and talk about some of the moments that really struck us and i i hope my hope is that the moments we will latch on to because we're going to save the the big moment the critical moment for our our feature discussion today but i hope most of them will come from the first half so we will find out and paul i will start with you you know there were a number of things in this game i mean right from the start opening whistle um you know just moments later there's a sack of chance so is there a, a particular moment maybe during our, our better play our period in the first half that sticks out to you as as one that was uh really important and really memorable so, yeah, there's one around 39 minutes that struck me. Why that one as opposed to all the other great chances? I don't think it was a better chance than the others. What I particularly liked about it, and I have to remind myself as it plays out, but it's it's from a, a corner kick for Wolves. And <clears throat> we play the ball up the pitch. And right from the get-go, what strikes me is that Pepe, now getting comfortable and confident and just being one more moving part in this dynamic setup has dropped into, if you like, the 10 spot, but kind of around the center circle uh, as we play up the pitch. Smith-Rowe is on the left wing. This is the one that ends up with Smith-Rowe putting in the cross into the six-yard box that nobody gambles on. Saka maybe could have gone for it. Mm. Um, But it goes up one side of the pitch with Pepe in the middle and Smith-Rowe on the left wing. uh, Saka on the right wing, Black in the middle. And... Uh, There's a couple of things I like about it. I can't tell if we're doing the five players in five slots because it's dynamic, it's loose, it's free-moving. Chaka and Party are actually on the opposite sides you'd expect with Party on the left, Chaka on the right. They both play a significant role in moving the the ball back over to the left when it goes up to the right. But mostly I liked how far Smith Rowe was away from we're expected to see him, but more so Pepe, as he has found first his his defined role on the right or left uh, to be effective in this game he played on the left. But in this game, he dropped into the middle. He had chances to swap back and get back on the left and get Smith-Rowe into his more conventional position. 
And if you like, I liked the jazz aspect to it of the fact that it wasn't people weren't nailed into spots and slots, even if that's what they were really doing. Mm. And Pepe and Smith Rowe were contributing in having swapped around comfortably to give them different. We, we didn't need to swap around positions because we were battering them, basically. And yet there's kind of a freedom and expression coming along in this. And I don't know why that was the opportunity of all the great ones we had in the first half that spoke to me. But I'm thinking, okay, now we we begin to develop our sea legs with this and we're we're tweaking and playing with it and, and like really kind of jazz improvising it within the structure and within the boundaries. And I just had this moment where I'm thinking, holy shit, this is really working. This is this is what we really wanted to see in terms of it, it. It's one thing to have a good goal or a good possession of play. It's another to see the, the team expressing itself within a structure that that combination of structure and improvisation that makes it very difficult to play against for the opposition. Yeah. And I think the way I would maybe look at it, Paul is, is that it was also a, a balance between building play effectively, you know, from, from possession and then using transition effectively as well. I, I thought this was a game where we did good things in possession, where we built from back to front and created chances, pushed them back. And then there were also opportunities for us to transition, whether it was from um, deeper ball recoveries or counter-pressing, which I thought we did well. It, it is notable to me that I think Arteta has started to mix in some counter-pressing, some you know, ability to win the ball back higher up the pitch. And Clive and I were, were discussing this when we did the rewatch. And I, I think it's it was even noticeable down to 10 and then, and then nine men. Um, but, you know, as a team, I think we made it too easy for the opposition this season when we weren't playing well to just carry the ball into our defensive third. And then we'd try to win it back there and maybe counterattack at pace, you know, play direct, fine, you know, play, play our way around them. We are winning the ball back now in positions higher up the pitch, allowing us to, I think, create more varied attacks and more effective attacks because the moves don't start, you know, so close to our own goal and force us to work our way all the way up the pitch. And I really like seeing that. You know, Tim, I, I don't know if that's something that you, you know, have observed as well. You know, our ability to 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 build attacks from from positions that aren't just, you know, starting with Leno passing it to his own player in his own box and having to play all the way up the pitch. Um, you know, and we will certainly get to a moment in the game where Leno did play out long and, and what happened there. Uh, comments that precede unfortunate events. But do you do you have a moment maybe in the first half in particular that, that stands out to you in terms of, um, you know, the, the way we were really breaking them down? So not one particular moment, but I, I, I want to go over, I, I guess, a moment that happened a few times. Yeah, sure. I, I think... I think your observation is absolutely correct that our defensive improvement is not really down to our defense. Um, and, you know, there's, there's been lots of changeover in that back four. Um, so it's not like built on a solid defensive partnership per se. I think you're exactly right. What, what's happened? We've gone from three at the back to three in midfield, and now we just win the ball back higher. I, I, th I think you're exactly right with that. And not only does that take the pressure off our defense, as you say, that enables us to start attacks and makes us a bit more varied. But to your point, um, about the, the more varied way that we build play now. Um, that, that comes on nicely to what I wanted to talk about, which was Thomas Partey's passing. 
um, you know, talking about the counter press, and obviously he can be a big part of that. He can go and close people down, albeit I, I don't think that's largely what he's doing. I think that's like Smith Rowe, and we're seeing Pepe doing it, as we saw it with the first goal. Um, you know, Lacazette does it, but all, but you can see that Smith Rowe is the trigger for the press, not Lacazette, and that that's re- that's really really interesting to me because that's almost like um, we're telling Lacazette, okay. You know, obviously he's not not pressing at all. But do you know what I mean? It's like if we lose the if Smith Rowe wins it back, then he's immediately got Lacazette there. You know, mm. so that there's like it's almost like thinking two moves ahead. But but what I wanted to talk about was was really Thomas Party. Um, and as you said, Elliot, what it it's nice when you can go from goalkeeper to centre forward and score a goal. Those those goals are lovely, and that is a good thing to do as well to draw out the opposition press, etc., etc. But we all know everyone got wise to it, and they just didn't press us anymore. They just let us pass it around our own defensive third, um, and it, and it kind of stopped working. And even when it works, I mean, how often can you realistically score a goal like that? Um, you know, once every few games, that's not enough, and. And what Party was doing in this game, uh, one of the things I was most intrigued about um, when I heard, when I read, I think it was Phil Costa wrote a profile of him and asked blog when we signed him, and he talked about that outward ball he has to the right wing, and he talked about how he used to clip the ball to Trippier um, out on the Atletico right, and this was at a time when Arsenal's play was so slanted to the left that like the pitch might as well have been on stilts. Mm. and Pepe and Bellerin on the right weren't getting an awful lot of action um, and, and probably the same for Willian. And so I was really interested in the idea that, okay, this guy can spread play to the right and he likes that pass. And um, what we saw in this game time and time again, and I don't know if it's just because they thought that the Wolves left back was weak, um, but he just kept planting that ball in behind the Wolves left back for Saka and Bellerin. Uh, to run onto again and again and again and he's just got that lovely cross field pass and he can do it in both directions as well he can hit the left as well mm-hmm. and and that just varies the point of attack and also because it's a longer pass it, it gets the ball there quicker um there, you know there's a, there's a guy called charles hughes who kind of poisoned english coaching throughout <laughs> the 70s and 80s because he had this uh he wrote a coaching manual for the fa and his whole pre- like principle was get the ball up the pitch in as few passes as possible which is actually not a bad principle at all it's just it was interpreted as get the goalkeeper to welly it out of his hands up to the striker for a flick on but actually getting the pool, ball up the pitch in as few passes as possible is actually a good thing to do particularly when there's precision behind it and just party like hitting those you know they're, they're not like they're not david louise passes they're just like 30 40 yards but just spreading them out um to the wings just and and particularly because that's kind of the way we attack anyway it's, it's just been so so useful and he's so press resistant and he can take the ball on the half turn and just whip that ball out in half a second so in the space of a second he's got the ball half turned maybe edge of the Arsenal centre circle in his own half and two seconds later it's at the edge of the opponent's box at the feet of an Arsenal winger or fullback and that is really really valuable mm. and uh, to, to, to some uh, just to finish on Paul's point about Pepe I, I, I looked at Pepe's heat maps from the last three games compared to games where I thought he'd played terribly and guess what all his heat maps in the games where he played terribly massive blob 
out on the touchline. Look yeah. at his heat maps for the last three games. They are all over the place and there's lots of central action. And I think I, I think that's partly the confidence of the player. But the fact that that ball's going out quickly, if it goes to the fullback, that means the forward can move inside. And hey, presto, what have you got? You've got Pepe and Saka, our two wingers. Their end product is going up as a result and why is that it's not because they're out on the touchline with the ball boys uh, spanking shots into the nets because they're in the area um, and they both effectively scored in this game it's just unfortunate that Saka's uh, Lacazette was offside for Saka's and, and and I think it's just really varying things up so nicely for us and it was our our chief weapon in that first half yeah and, and I mean you know Saka could have had a few goals obviously I mean he's unlucky with that early chance he has the one that's offside as well um you know, Pepe had one. Our hit, two, hit. our two chief weapons. <laughs> our three. No one expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> um, you know, Clive. And, and by the way, you know, I watched Brighton beat Liverpool, and uh, I watched. You know, I watched Brighton beat. Was it Spurs just before that? Right. Um, I, sometimes I think these really good coaches. This is going to oversimplify it. I honestly sometimes think their instruction is: when you receive the ball, look forward and pass it forward. You notice it with Brighton so much. Like, they don't play like one of these small teams, like where they, when they recover the ball, the first thing they do is look to go back, get it to the defender, and then just boot it up the pitch. I mean, maybe at the very end when they're trying to see the game out. But it, it's it's a difference that I've noticed in us too now. We get the ball, we move it forward. Thomas Party is the chief reason for that. I also think Smith Rowe popping up between the lines and, and creating another option there helps us with that. I, I do think the problem with the back three, it was solid and it helped us possess the ball, but it didn't make it easy to progress the ball unless you were willing to just spin it up the wing to the fullback. And we don't have to do that anymore. We have more progressive passing options and we have a better progressive passing central midfielder and party. Clive, I mean, you know, we, we saw so much of this. There's that one moment, um, I, I think it's in the first half, of course it has to be in the first half, um, where... I guess, is it, is it the one where Smith Rowe slides it across the corridor of uncertainty, or is it the one where he pulls it back? Uh, but it starts with Thomas Party getting the ball from Hector Bellerin deep, and he's got a defender on him. And he draws the defender in and dribbles past him and then slides it over to Shaka, who plays it up the up the wing, and away we go. I think it's to Pepe, and away we go. Um, you know, that that's what Party does. I, he, he just gives us that ability to push the ball forward and, and sometimes the way he does it is by letting the defender get drawn in and going past him. And once you do that, you, you immediately create a numerical advantage. And so, I, you know, I, I, I think he did that a lot in the first half. Is there, is there a moment, you know, maybe related to his buildup or otherwise from the, I mean, I keep saying from the first half. We can get to the second half um, in a bit. And it, you know, it obviously is, is part of the game, but feels like it's part of a different game. But is there one that you wanted to highlight? Yeah, I suppose when you go into games, obviously we had a we had a tough game against Man United, then we go into this game, and I'm and I'm nervous like everybody is, right? And then then that first chance comes, and the way it was constructed, we just spoke about, but the ferocity of the shot, and it, and I just suddenly started to believe in the team immediately, and I think the thing I take away from the moment for me in this game is, I think the team was starting to believe that they are really good. I agree. And they attacked this game massively and said, we're winning. And there was a time way back when we played, we played games like this all the time. We smashed people first 15 minutes. It was over. He might as well have gone home. You know, and um, and we attacked that game like a team that was finding itself, which makes what happened even more harder to bear. You know, I think that's why some of the players are so disappointed because they knew they didn't just lose 
one point, it was three points, right? So the belief being caused by good players working in a collective, cohesive way. Um, there's a couple of players which we've spoken about that I think are just transformational. And there are other players that are following their lead, you know, particularly Granite Shaka, for example. And it's stuff that we've spoken about many times, our sideward passing, the horseshoe passing, the lack of filling up certain zones. But when parties come in, he's just played football forward. Yep. You know, when Smith and Martini came in, they just play to the next shirt forward. They're not afraid to turn around. And I just think we've seen the, the benefits of that. We just continued it. So other players are holding people to account when they're passing backwards because they realise that's not what happens. And modern coaching today is all about, you know, positional play and covering your zones. And what you need to do is move the ball quickly into those zones, no matter where they are, where they're further, the furthest player away, it's always a good thing. And then what happens then, you have to get around it. You have to get around that guy quicker than they get back. You create your superiorities and you're in. What are we doing right there? Is we get there quickly, we get around it, right tap, in. What do Man City do? Move it, move it, get into wide areas, third man run, in. Right, superiorities, couple of distraction runs, in. Right? It's all about moving it to zones. Of course, you have to have players who can move it. And we've had players historically, recently, particularly in centre midfield, that have taken a simplistic option, which is to pass back to Holding or pass back to Louise. And of course, everyone can sit and wait for Louise to loft it, and they can back off, no pressure on the ball. You drop off, clear it, sweep it up. When Party gets it, when Shaka gets it now, it's really fast. Now we're receiving the ball with separation, and then we can start to connect. And it's just, you know, the sound, for me, belief. Belief was really high. And I really hope we carry that belief into the game of the weekend against Villa mm. and make sure this game does not cost us more than just three points. That's, I, it. That's really important. I joked on the rewatch, but I mean it. I, I, I hope that Arteta buys the team around to drinks and sits them down and has them watch this first half so that they remember that before <laughs> what happened happened, they were playing at the absolute peak of their powers. I, I mean, this for me was the game, ironically, where I was watching and I was like, you know what? We're just good now. This isn't, hey, we beat up on a few bad teams. You know, because if you think about some of these games in this run against Brighton, I think we had, what, no shots at halftime. Newcastle in the Cup, no shots at halftime. Um, you know, there were games where we put in partial performances or kind of got it done. You know, the United we'd games... we 10 minutes and be excited about yeah, it yeah. against Sheffield United, and then we'd almost play a full half and et cetera. Yeah, that's, real, that's exactly right, Paul. And, and I think that this was a game where I watched it. I was just like, this is just a good team that knows how it wants to play now and gets it. And I, you know, I, I will say, I mean, Paul, the, maybe just sometimes the players you have and a system you choose make sense to players more than another system. It never felt to me like that back three, that sort of hybrid back three with the five lanes of attack. It never felt like the players really looked natural in it. And now it, it feels a lot more natural. Now, some of that is, I think, you have a Thomas party who can be the progressive passing double pit part of the double pivot and it's it's made Shaka look a lot better by association um and by performance let's not take anything away from him and you know you have a player between the lines and smith row so i think they'll look a lot more comfortable one thing i was noticing in this first half in particular smith row popping up more in the left half space and mm-hmm. you know how that unlocked access to pepe and also sort of gave pepe some room to operate so you know is is that you know, maybe now the next evolution for Smith Rowe that, that Arteta's giving him a little more freedom because the irony is he popped up in the left half space. Bellerin would tuck in 
And we hit the ball over the top to Saka a few times. He was getting him behind off the shoulder of their defender. I wonder if maybe Arteta spotted something in the way they play that they wanted to target that. But we've not we've not seen Smith Rowe play in that zone as much since he's come into the team. So that was definitely a difference. Yeah, so like it's funny you went there because I was just actually going back to that and having a look at Smith Rowe in the first half because I'm thinking, man, he's he's really hard uh, kind of plowing that that side of the pitch linking up with Pepe and you might be right it might have been direction or it may just have been that's where they felt the opportunity between him and Pepe because they were having a lot of joy with it um I found it uh like extremely encouraging that that's where he spent his time because you don't go to that side if you if you're not finding the opportunities and the connections and like after the first half playing on in the background as we're chatting and you can just see that they're finding each other Pepe and Smithrow it's it's not the only time they swap positions but they're creating triangles whoever is passing to them Laka you know the first couple of games with Smithrow I picture it with Laka Saka and ESR over on the right-hand side. And this is more Laka, ESR, and Pepe knocking it around on the left-hand side. And I don't think it's one or the other. It's just in the first half, that's that's where they were finding it. That's where they were finding those connections, which I think is, uh, you know, it can't be any better. Yeah. Um, I, I think Smith Rowe, what I liked about Smith and Rowe the last few games is I don't think Both you of come them? away. Smith, Smith and Rowe or, or, or just, just one of them? Yeah. <laughs> All three weapons. Oh no, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, is that he hasn't he hasn't been the headliner? He, he, you know, you would he didn't have the moment that you think uh, you you remember in ten games time. Oh, the Smith Rowe games included these two, but he's just really good, really important, doing uh, th- everything from the pressing to being in the right spots, being the glue, the paste, whatever, connecting these guys, and it just. You know, we discussed it, or we used the term, maybe it's not the player, it's the position, but it's both. He's really, really, really good at this. Even when he doesn't have a breakout game, it's a very, very good game. And I think he's better than most teams, number 10. And it's interesting because it was a more peripheral performance. But again, sometimes the job isn't just to get on the ball and create assists. There's other things happening there. And, and Tim, before I come to you, Clive, you type something into the chat that I'd love you to just... Uh, add to the conversation because I think it's a really good point. When I watch us play, I see one layer less of football than you do. So all I see is what we're doing. What you see that I'm missing, and I love that you see it because it helps me see it, is what we are doing to also counter them. And that that use of Smith Rowe may have been designed by design, not just in terms of how we build, but to deny service to Traore, who was fairly limited, I felt, in the first half, other than when Thomas Party quite cynically and fantastically kicked the crap out of him to stop a counterattack. Um, so so do you think that no, may have been part of it, that, that, that it was a counter, a counter yeah, to, the, to their strength? Yeah, so you look at Samedo and you look at Traore, and if you think to yourself, if I let them go massively, they're, they're going to cause us problems. They're quite sharp. They're really quick and attacking. So by just loading Smith on that side, and this is why I'm also trying to keep um, sorry Cedric high, you're really trying to free Pepe a little bit. You know, one of Pepe and Smith Rowe. And then you're rolling Shaq around into left back, which is, it might look a bit high risk. Actually, it's risk versus reward, right? You're you're forcing them a 
And every time they do get a bit of broken play, you can get around them, bang, rat tat, around their ankles, and stop him getting running. And Cedric had a couple of early good challenges against him, and we fouled him, and we need to, because he's a massive breakaway weapon. So sometimes we load on that side, whereas on the right-hand side, the party, Saka link against Kilman, and they've got problems in left wing back situation. They've had an injury, etc. Kilman looks more of a centre back to me, you know. So you don't want to have people around Saka on that. I think we messed up later in the game. You don't want people. You want him one on one, isolated, right? So, and he ran. He ran his legs off, didn't he? Early on, in particular, couldn't get near him, right? So, um, so yeah, I think sometimes, sometimes when I watch a game on from scouting or something like that for the non-league team. I watch the opposition a lot, and sometimes you, you have to do that. And we all watch our own team. And sometimes we watch the opposition and see how they make you feel. You know, and that's a key thing. And then try to think about how we can stop them. So when you're watching these teams, look at the feeling that they give you, the fear they give you, and look at where our players position that is normally to counteract their strengths. You know, and it's brilliant because it also makes me realize like there was a lot of chatter about, oh, are they targeting Bellerin because Podens had a lot of the ball. But if you've shut down their right-hand side, by bringing Smith Rowe over there, right, and and letting Cedric and Pepe and Smith Rowe kind of take Traore out of the attack a little bit, Podence is what's left, and they hit that side a little bit more. And I, you know, I thought Bellerin did okay with it, um, but it, you know, it, it also explains maybe why they did more of their attacking down that side because we mm-hmm. allowed that to be their avenue of attack a little more than the other side. Can, yeah. can I add a, a little yeah. bit just on the touches because I was just looking at on. Um, who scored in terms of touches. And like, if you look at the first 25 minutes, basically all Smith Rowe's touches are along the left-hand side. And then he gets a couple on the right-hand side, I think from the fact that he's the second, second man on a, the two man corners over with, with Saka. But basically for the first 25 minutes, it's all down the, mm. the left-hand side. Interesting. Well, so Tim, I mean, look at this point, I think before we get to the, the main talking point, which is going to be what destroyed the game and what we think of that and, and, you know, maybe who's to blame for it other than the ref and also the ref. I, I think we should just <laughs> quickly kind of touch on this goal that was scored because it's pretty special. Um, mm. I, I think what's going to be lost in a series of beautiful dribbles, great balance and a phenomenal finish with a weaker foot is the ball recovery. You know, mm. That, that to me is just as important. And I, you know, I think the way I look at Pepe, he is a moments player for sure. I don't think anybody ever doubted that he had the ability to do the occasional brilliant thing. The question is, can he mm. fit into a team concept when he needs to, and then have those moments of individualistic flair when it suits him? And I thought this game was a really nice balance of that. And the goal itself is a balance of that in that he recovers the ball before producing this, this scintillating finish. So, is is that sort of the quintessential well-rounded moment for Pepe that the aha moment the the sign of him sort of yeah. graduating from individualistic player to player who can kind of do both yeah absolutely he had uh, seven ball recoveries against Southampton five against Man United so you can see that that, that that's the area he's improving his um I I wrote about him today in fact and uh, I, I was looking like I was looking at the last three games and I was looking back and thinking, right, when did I think Pepe played really crap? And actually, like this, this probably won't surprise you. His shot metrics don't really change um, and like chance creation and all of that. And, and I know we talk about this quite a lot. Like I, I went back and thought, when did I think Pepe was absolutely rubbish? Oh, look, he had the same number of shots in that game as he mm. did in, in like, well, not in this game because the, 
like he only had two ball recoveries in this game right for example and had it been 11 v 11 like both of those ball recoveries were in the first half had the game been 11 v 11 i think would have seen more in the second half but um but it it is those fundamentals what he does in the like in the 18 yard area i don't think has changed at all um i think the difference is a yes he is doing the fundamentals a bit more in terms of winning the ball back i think but i think b most importantly we're getting him into those areas a lot more now and like i said earlier his heat map for this game um so slightly less for this game because of the way the second half changed but for united um and for southampton it's all over the place um and it's and lots of it is like around the edge of the area and in the area and, and it just seems like you, you know arteta said this about abamyang right when abamyang went through his goal scoring drought he said we've got to put him in positions a bit more where he can be dangerous and it just seems like they've analogued that to Pepe yeah almost treated him like a Bamiang and just said okay let's just get this guy in the fucking penalty area as often yeah. as we can yeah and let's get him like swinging that foot getting shots off because we all know he's good at shooting we all know he's he's got like um he's got he, he's got like he's he's a very good finisher uh, again, as Paul said many times, if it doesn't go in, it's usually close. Um, you know, there are a couple against Man U that are just past the post. And and I said after Man U, you know, just keep doing that. Just keep taking those shots and enough of them will go in. And actually, you know, his his goal contribution numbers are solid throughout his time at Arsenal. But none of us are stupid. No matter how you mm. absorb football, whether you do it through vibes, data a mixture of the two whether you get drunk and go and watch it in the stand or get drunk and watch it on tv or whether you like to really analyze it there's one thing like you can see conviction right Mm -hmm. it's it's an intangible but it's tangible you can see when someone's in the mood and when they're convincing and when they're not and we can all see that pepe looks more convincing and he stopped doing this stuff where it's like yeah he had three shots today but um he kept letting the ball roll under his studs um and he kept tripping over the ball um, and he kept like just daydreaming. And uh, the, the phrase I used in the article I wrote, I'm sorry to re-up this, but I thought it was good. So I'm going to say it again. Like sometimes he looks like a man who's gone to a rap battle with like a triangle and a harmonica. And it's it's just like, <laughs> like, like, what are you doing, man? Like what? Like nothing he was doing before was in sync with his teammates. But in the last, like inside the area, he was, he's always been good inside the area. Nothing there has changed, but he just seems a bit more in sync with his teammates. And whether that's just down to the team being a bit better, attacking a bit more, the fact that Smith throws there now, there's a bit of a wall pass. So you don't have to like try and dribble your way, dribble your way out of cul-de-sacs all the time, whether it's party arcing those passes out. I'm sure it's a bit of both of those, whether he's had like a bit of a come to Jesus moment, a bit of soul searching and gone, nope, nope, I've got to make this work. I I suspect it's a little bit of all of those things, but I I completely agree that the goal's fantastic. And the way he finishes it is, uh, is not surprising. Even on his right foot, he scored an absolute banger against Dundalk with his right foot. We know he can do that. We've seen it. It's the ball recovery that that's where it and that's where the chance is created, and uh, and it's from a very similar area as well to the goal he scores against Southampton. It's that inside forward area, and I, and I think 
I don't know whether it's just taken a long time to work this out or whether it's just taken a long time to get the players around him that can help. Um, but we're just getting him into those inside forward positions a bit more. And I do think Smith Rowe helps not just by being like that wall pass number 10, but Smith Rowe is really good at filling in on the flanks mm. when either Saka or Pepe moves in. And they're both moving in because they're both scoring goals at the moment. And like I said, nobody's scoring goals from the touchline at the moment. They're scoring goals because they're in the area. And I do think some of that as well is because Smith Rowe is really good at seeing where his teammates are and filling spaces. And that that's essentially what Smith Rowe has done. I'm almost not indifferent of obviously, but I am almost um, like sanguine about the goals and assists from Smithrow. For me, what he's doing is he's just recognising where gaps are. He's recognising where a teammate's in trouble and needs a pass. He's recognising where someone's ne- made a run and it needs a filler. And it's just it's just smoothed things out. And the, the, big, the challenge now for Pepe um, and, and Smithrow and Saka to a degree is we've only been playing like this for a month. So there's more data now, and with every game that goes past, the next manager has a bit more data on how to stop us from playing. And we've already seen it with the 3-4-3. It worked until it didn't. So the next challenge for these players is Dean Smith at Villa. He will be showing his players all week clips of Pepe. He'll be saying, stop him getting there. Stop him getting in that inside forward position. And that's the challenge now, is that people are going to be more alive to him than ever. And he has to keep raising that bar. And the way he does that is by continuing to do the fundamentals. You know, the good thing about showing them film of Pepe and saying you have to stop what he's going to do is that even Pepe doesn't know what he's going to do. So it's it's, it's hard to stop. You know, what's interesting, Tim, too, is... I mean, I think there's a level up that this can go to because Pepe hasn't really had a chance to play with Tierney since he's been on the left, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Tierney's mostly been out during that period. Have they played together at all since Pepe shifted left? Or does it all, all come with Tierney being out? I can't... Not in this spell. It might have happened because Pepe has drifted over to the left a few times, so it might have happened. But you're right because Tierney's so good at filling the wide spot yeah. in that area that... That, that absolutely opens things up for an inside forward. Um, you know, that that's exactly how we play with Aubameyang. Um, mm. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it's going to lead to a, a later conversation in this pod about what Arteta does from here, because I think, you know, Lacazette is a performance we can analyze. You know, both Smith-Rowe and Lacazette were a little more peripheral in this game. Smith-Rowe, I think, influenced it a bit more, and I think it was telling that Lacazette came off when we went down to 10 men after halftime, because, um, you know, and Pepe did stand, because that's definitely not a move that Arteta would have made you know, just a few weeks or months ago. I thought it was a shame when Pepe did ultimately come off, actually. But, uh, Paul, you wanted to add on Pepe quickly? Yeah, I mean, Tim in many ways covered all of this, but I'd reframe what I think is different now with Pepe. It's about getting him into better positions, about connectivity. It's about uh, getting him into the box. But it's really about the chaos side of it, the the movement, the 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 way we're playing around him. I mean, he beat two players uh, on the way to the goal, but he beat them one by one. They weren't a set defense waiting for him, which is what he's he's faced for this mm. whole season. Yeah. You know, two players and two more players behind it. We moved it from side to side. We'd attacked with Saka down one side, swung it up the other side. Him and Smith Rowe were interchanging. You know, Lacazette pops one to uh, uh, 
Pepe to Smith Rowe for the cross for the six yard box cross. They're just moving it around all the time. So it's not a set defense. I mean, you see it in basketball all the time. I don't really have much of a basketball eye. There's a whole difference between the defense is set and it's all stirred up and it has that extra few yards of chaos in terms of positions. And he's just, if he only has one or two guys to beat on his way into the box, he'll tear them a new one. The problem with him before was he'd try and do it with four guys waiting for him because we weren't doing anything anywhere else across their back line. So, I mean, Tim took touched on all the reasons, but I kind of look at it from the other side saying, do they look like a defense in chaos? And Wolves are a very organized team. So I think it augurs well for what we're doing. It's, it's beyond Pepe and it's the context in which he's being dropped in. And of course, having Smith throw to ping balls with, but. Mm. And I, I mean, before we get to the part of the conversation we're going to dread, which is the part of the game we dread, Clive, I just want to let you weigh in on Pepe really quickly as well, because I think you've been talking about this a lot. And it is noticeable to me under Arteta there, there, it just seemed so obvious that the wide forwards were too wide, that too often we were looking at an Aubameyang serving in crosses from the touchline or Pepe trying to beat two guys out on the touchline with a fullback inside him. And, both Saka and Pepe seem to have so much more access to the box now. I think it's the change in formation, and I think it's the presence of the guy between the lines. And, uh, you know, it just it, it has changed. I mean, not just for Saka, who's completely come alive, but for Pepe, it's changed his fortunes as well. So, I, I mean, the shift to the left is going to get a lot of the focus, but I think also being able to operate in tighter spaces near closer to the box is a big part of it as well. Yeah, so let's talk formation first, right? So I know you got your thing against back three, but... Man City are basically playing a 3-3-4 three, three, at the moment. Well, well can I just say three. one thing about a back three? I, and I'll, I'll let you go. But ironically, in this game, there were times when we were building up, if you noticed, where Shaka dropped back Absolutely. into the line of cent- centre-backs again, and we we built exactly. from a back three formation, yeah. Classic yeah, so. Cruyff video stuff, too. It's all in there. It's okay. all in there. That Shaka dropping into the back three. That's what that Cruyff video is. He, he was advocating a three at the back, and you can see all of Arteta's football in it. Yeah, lots of teams doing now. It's the trend. It's been a trend for probably a season, right? So, what is interesting is what City are doing. So, we've seen the two three five and the three two five, but City have gone three three four, and I think that's really interesting how they're using Cancelo a lot and and really making their fullback three midfielders. And I think this is something we need to be thinking about. You know, we had a chat earlier about this, and I think this is a development for our right back. You know, this is a developmental area. Nothing against the player. Just that we need somebody who can do more stuff on the football in that situation, right? So, so don't pin it to a formation. Pin it to a starting position. It's very, very simple. Starting position needs to be much more in the interior, and he needs to have something called creative freedom. And when we first got Pepe, remember we I spoke about the Tifo football video at him at Lille, mm-hmm. and they said in that video, and I and I always remembered it. They said in that video, it didn't come from me, it come from them. You got to make him free. You've got to make him a free-running player. Don't pin him somewhere. He's got to be a creative... He's a creative finisher, basically. That's what he is. So, Clyde Palmer, 50s, overweight, living near Luton. If I can work that out after flipping watching one video, why is it taking the club 18 months to recognise how to use a player? Particularly a player they spent £72 million on. I find it infuriating. He's always been this player. We haven't used him properly. He's got technique you can't teach. He does things that actually other footballers are absolutely scared of. 
what we do, we analyze him in the construct of how we're using him. Think about how he could be used. Think about your favorite highlight moments and where they were on the pitch. Then say, we've got to get him there more often. You know, and then I, you can obviously see now he's got a little bit of belief from the coach. And I think with a little bit of belief from the coach and the players around him, we've seen somebody, and I really, really, truly believe this. He's got star potential. Mm-hmm. Um, just the way he's strapped and the way he is, he's got star potential. He can carry the weight of this team. Sixty-two we, million pound, Pepe. <laughs> and I know it's way it. too much. To, the numbers are way too much, and that's probably another reason why we haven't really analysed him properly. The numbers are way too big, and we have we don't give people that price tag to patience, right? But he's got star mentality. It struck me. Remember those two free kicks against was it Victoria? Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a free kick; it was a time in the game. And forget the forget the opponent. The goals don't move, right? So. It was a time in the game, and he took that on. And he, I think there was always flickering there to say, you know what, we let this guy go. I wonder what he could do. But we found a way to crush him. And I think that's ridiculous. Ridiculous use of resources again. To me, he was always this player. Let's put more responsibility on him to be more free. I think the addition of Smith Rowe, as Tim said just then, if he does go, Smith Rowe feels him where he should be. I think that's allowed him the freedom to be the player he is. But you can still do that in a 3-4-3, three, three, in a box-shaped midfield. You can still do that then. You can still push people in. It's just about letting the guy off the leash and way overdue, in my opinion. It actually, it actually annoys me, actually. It actually annoys me that it's taken so long to get the benefit of this player. Yeah. I mean, the one thing we should do also, we tend to always assume things are about the tactics or things are about the coach and things coaches are doing or you know, the club are doing. The player has responsibility. And some of Pepe's resurgence and and revitalization here could also be that he has bought into doing all the hard work, all the dirty work. And I'm not saying he didn't want to do it before he was lazy or anything, but like, let's give the player some of the credit, but also some of the responsibility. It's possible that some of the reason he's thriving now is that he is starting to do more of the things that he has been asked to do. We don't know that. Again, it's purely speculation, but it's the point that like... it's a two-way street. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um... So let's do this. We got to get to the refereeing decisions. I, I think, you know, and certainly how, how we arrived at the refereeing decisions. I, I certainly think that it is a memory we'd like to just pluck out of our brain. We'd like to just clear that out of our mind. We have to we have to get to it. But maybe if we're thinking about something that we'd like to trim away from our brain, or I think you know where this is going, um, uh, shear off of our experience um, that it's a perfect time to talk about other things you might want to shave away, shear away, cut away. Um, and you can do it with the Lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped. That's right. It's that time. We're going to talk about manscaped.com where you are going to go and use promo code ArsenalVision and get 20% off and free shipping. Going to switch to a new product starting February 8th. So all of this Lawnmower 3.0 stuff, this is it. Last couple of days. Last couple of days. If you want the skin safe ceramic blade to never nick you or cut you down there, so that when you finally, finally, finally get some time to to enjoy the the companionship of your partner, they don't say what what are these what are these marks these these make me feel uncomfortable. This is unpleasant. I quit. I'm out of here. Um, no, instead they just find something pleasant and happy. And you know what? I'm loath to to name it the day, the V day, but V day is upon us. I'm not an observer of V day, as my wife knows, but V day does exist. It's called Valentine's Day, and if you are an observer of it. It is a gift you can give your partner. Or your partner can give you if you want to give them an idea. I, you know, I personally just think it's an everyday thing. Love should be expressed every day. It shouldn't just be because some greeting card company told us it should. 
some little baby in a diaper with a bow and arrow shoots an arrow at you that has a heart on it. And now suddenly you have to buy gifts for your partner. It's silly. Just, just shower your partner with love and affection using parts of your body that are properly maintained. And you do that with the lawnmower 3.0. These get weirder and weirder and weirder. But you know what? If you don't buy this thing, you know what's going to happen. Razor in the shower. It's been there for three months. You use it. It does something terrible. Or you just don't use it because you're like, you know what? I'm not using that thing. And then it just gets to be a hirsute situation down there. You don't need it. You can do it to eyebrows, sideburns, chest. Of course, your privates. Long battery life. Waterproof. It's wet, dry. The thing looks space age. It is cool as heck. And you get 20% off of free shipping when you use promo code Arsenal Vision. Manscaped.com. Promo code Arsenal Vision. Do it. Not for Valentine's Day. I refuse to buy into that that capitalistic nonsense. I'm going to buy into different capitalistic nonsense. Manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision. Clive, has had enough of that? Oh, man. I was looking at something else. Just hurry up and get it done with you. It's, it's over. I promise it's over. You ready to move on? All right, let's move on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's get to our featured section today. And our featured section today is uh, all refs are bastards. Um especially Craig Pawson. Look, Bukayo Saka very well could have had a, a penalty. Clive and I were doing the rewatch, and Clive made the perfect point, which I will now uh, state as though it was mine, which is simply that um, he doesn't get the ball and he makes contact. So if not getting the ball and making contact is a penalty later in the half, then it certainly should have been a penalty early in the half. He doesn't get the ball and he makes contact. And VAR doesn't sort it out the first time, and it doesn't sort it out the second time. So I don't know. All we want is consistency, and we didn't get it. Clive... Let's do this just briefly, though. Let's talk the football part just quickly because the refereeing part is a big conversation to have. On the football front, tell me how we we arrive at this moment. So the half is about to go. Leno kicks it before his team is set. We lose the first ball. Louise jumps for a second ball. He doesn't... I mean, what, what on earth have we done to create a situation where Craig Paulson can steal the game from us? So, yeah, Leonard got his ankle injury just before that, didn't he? And mm-hmm. so he took a long kick the first time because he was almost like he was testing his ankle out. We didn't want to, the agility of him to move, get to get the ball back and build play. And so I, when I looked at it, I thought, oh, great, he hasn't done his ankle because I didn't want Shearson in the team. Right? Do you know what I mean? So that was the first <laughs> kick. And then You got him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, he didn't do too bad, actually. But then yeah, we did. got the, the second the, the second goal kicker you know, just on literally on 47 minutes. And he strikes into area. So we tend to exit to Pepe because he's really good at coming off the touchline, jumping off from the side and beating fullbacks or midfielders by flicking it on. And then he follows his header and he tries to get a second ball. Right, so... We didn't reach Pepe, so I think Smith Rowe gets jumped out jumped by I'm not sure if it's Cody or somebody there. Now this is a this is a mistake. Right? So two minutes or seconds go before half time. What you don't do is get your fishing rod out and a centre half. You got your centre midfield in front of you, you can see him. There's a ball there to be won. Don't get attracted. You actually drop away. You actually drop away and stay tight. And so he goes fishing for the ball. Um William Jose, and William Jose then spins. And David Luiz didn't really spin quickly. He's sort of like, oh, we'll be all right. And then he thought, shit, I'm in trouble here because they've got the player in the middle, I can't remember who it was. He's got good possession and there's a zigzag in our back line. All backs are frozen. They know that they've got a little bit of cover. Cedric's too far away, shouldn't be. Bellerin's got a man behind him. He's thinking, do I stay with him or do I go to the ball? Didn't do anything. Holding shits himself, he drops away. 
potentially could have gone to the ball and created distraction, but didn't. There's a big hole there, and David Luiz, to his credit, he saw it, and he gave it everything he's got. But really, it shouldn't have happened. We should have kept a straight line, stay in our zones, make them work to go past them. No spaces, particularly when literally it was after t- after the two minutes and referee let the, the play build, as we would expect. You know, so a few seconds ago, we'd expect that if it's the other way around. If he'd have blown up, it would have, a, would have been a riot, right? And quite rightly. And the situation then, which I'll probably let someone else deal with, the situation then happened and it's disappointing, right? Because we have experienced players for this not to happen. Like that's that's my thing. You experienced players get hold of people at key moments, but it's an experienced player that, in my can opinion, I, can I ask a off. question on it? Yeah, from yeah. you, Clive. Yeah, cool. Like, what's the difference between like we, you'll often see a centre back uh, push up? Mustafi would do it a lot. Luis is very front footed. Holding's very front footed. They'll 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 go up for that header. And yeah. make that challenge, and, and you know they'll probably win it two out of three times. What do you see as the difference between this situation, where you know I, I see something that looks like this all the time, and we're <laughs> fine with it? So, so well, it's not. It's not I, I'm not fine with it. Fault, I want to raise my hand and not be fine with it, but I'll explain that in a second. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Louise's fault, and I'm, you know, I'm, I know Tim's going to know this when I speak about it because he watches some warm-ups as well. But you see the back four together, and, and I do these drills myself, right? So you have a back four, you and you fire a ball into them. One of the centre backs comes out, and the others cover around, right? So it's just a drill you do to get your synchronisation going. So one when one comes out of his hole, the others squeeze in, right? And so you communicate early. I'm going. But the gap between the two guys is massive, isn't it? Exactly. So Louise is getting stick here, but mate, I'm telling you, Rob Holden looked like a post box, right? He didn't move, right? So, and the fullback didn't move. They just let they they were they were frozen. They just knocked off, right? So I am telling you, all, if you watch more, that video again, though, Clive. Leno kicks it before anybody is ready. They do not realize. I don't know why he's kicked it so quickly because they are still just walking up the pitch. So nobody's set. Mm. I haven't really captured that. Honestly, you mean I haven't captured that, and I don't think that was massive because the, the person going for the first ball was ready for it. Mm. Right, so and it's gone over their heads. But you know, point taken. You could easily say, why don't Leno just waste another five seconds? They would have been blown in the air. Do you know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, for me, it's a collective thing. Always is. Don't have to go fishing. If you do go fishing, you cover around. We didn't either. Left a big hole and they ran through it. Defending is really hard, and I think a lot of defending is context, right? It's it's situational awareness. So in the ill-fated Crystal Palace game where Mustafi loses Zaha and we lose top four, leading up to that, I think, is Koscielny going up for a, a header he has no business contesting. And all he has to do is drop off and the danger's not there. Going up and contesting those balls is not always the wrong choice. It's just the wrong choice in the moment. We know the whistle's about to blow. So I get that you want to win back possession, but like you don't have to challenge for that. Just let them have possession a couple passes later, the whistle blows. So I just think it's the wrong move contextually. But Tim... Or smash him. Or, or smash yeah. him in the back of the head, <laughs> sure. right? And give a free why, kick. Why not? That's what you um, do. That's yeah. literally what you do. So. Yeah. Um, so, so then, Tim... Let's get to the actual penalty. The first thing I want to ask you, and it's mm. not a loaded question, just really quickly. Mm. I watched this a million times, as all of us have, and I still can't decide if David Luiz has taken the line across the back of the player with the knowledge, not the intent, but the knowledge maybe his stride hits me and we both go over or something and it's I get away with it or he, he goes or 
or do you think it is purely accidental? And, and let, let's just say this. We all know that defenders sometimes will run across the stride of a player. The player will kick the defender. And you can say, oh, the player's kicked the defender. Mm. The defender knows exactly what he's doing, and it is a foul. I'm not saying that's what happened here. I'm asking you, do you think that Louise takes the natural line and is unlucky or has some knowledge that he's running across the stride of the player and you know is aware of what the ramifications that can be? Honestly, I think it's inconclusive. I I think it could be either. Like, I think usually in most situations you can you can tell right um so you remember louise got sent off at stamford bridge a year ago um where he goes for the ball because he goes through tammy abraham and and it like he is going for the ball but i think you can tell he's thinking i'm just going to take everything that's on offer Mm -hmm. and if it's the man or the ball we'll see i don't mind not i don't mind either way but either one's good one way or another you know you can you can kind of tell that like he i don't think he'd make that that tackle like in the center circle unless there was a breakaway on for example in this one i, I honestly find it so difficult to tell and um the, the only thing that gives me pause to think that it was it was definitely an accident and that thought didn't even cross his mind is that he falls as well and i think if you really want to know you'd have to judge whether louise legitimately tripped it like fell himself because he wasn't expecting contact from the studs of the walls player or whether you just thought he was being a bit clever and thinking oh fuck i've touched him here if i go down um you know i make this look a bit more like a tangle of legs than the fact that i've just clipped him but i think taking those two things together like you know you always know when you run alongside a player that you run that risk you know you do but and and so like the, the the extent to which he thought well i might i might just collide with him and that'll be all right or the extent to which it's like well i've got no fucking choice but to run alongside him and so i accept that risk is is you know is it's very very difficult to determine um to be honest but yeah i i the thing is here, here's where the the law is isn't is an ass in this particular respect what else is david louise supposed to do mm. like the, the law and the way it is basically says in that situation you either have to stop or run away and that's <laughs> ludicrous like because what if um what if uh william jose goes through one-on-one and Leno saves it and there's a rebound and Louise is 20 yards back going, sorry, I'm not allowed to run anymore. Mm. Like, like that's, that's absurd. That is absurd. Um, so whether, and here's the thing, right? When you're judging, when referees judge intent, let's say in something like violent conduct or like a reckless force, like you, you have to be, you have to like, that's a subjective call, but you have to be sure. You have to be sure that you think the player has used reckless force. And and I think in this scenario, I think it's inconclusive, um, to be honest. And I think there's just as much evidence to say, you know, how I, how many replays have we seen of this incident? Like 100? And I still can't decide to what extent, the like, William Jose kicks Louise's knee and to what extent Louise's knee accidentally collides or to what extent louise kind of knows what he's doing like i think it's all inconclusive 
Um, and so in that respect, I, I think you, you probably have to give a penalty because the guy's one-on-one and he's kind of about to score and the guy's behind him. I, I'm not sure I'm convinced that he's clever enough in that moment where he's through one, where he's a striker and he's through one-on-one going, oh, I think David Luiz's kneecap is behind me. So if I just draw my foot back, he, he, I might take it. Like, I, I just, I don't, I don't see that. Um, but at the same time, I, I genuinely can't decide whether Louise thinks, well, if I run and I catch him, I, like I don't think he goes, I'm going to catch him. But whether he goes, mm, well, if I run alongside him, I might, or there might be a tangle of legs. Like, I don't know. I think it's inconclusive. And therefore, I think the right decision is is penalty, but but no red card. But, and I'm sure we'll come on to this, that by the law, it is a red card. Mm. That's interesting because I was going to ask you, given everything you've just said, does can he not send him off though? I mean, can, can, is that you know what I mean? Is that so, why can't he not send him so, off there? So, th- so this this is really interesting. So, the law the law has been poorly drafted, right? The double jeopardy law, mm-hmm. and it's got this giant loophole in it where basically because Louise hasn't gone for the ball, it's a red card which is stupid because he hasn't gone for the ball because he hasn't really made a challenge. It's a collision of legs. But the law is drafted in such a way that it doesn't take that scenario into account. So whoever drafted that law has, has done a really poor job. And um, lads, at the, you know... But, but draft- isn't that true of almost half of penalties? That yes. they haven't truly gone for the ball? Right. That well, leg you dangle out, the kind of the yeah, yeah. blocking move, all of those you haven't gone for the ball. Yeah, but it's yeah, not a yeah, denial yeah, of but, a goal scoring opportunity. Yeah, yeah, because because he's going through one on one. So and and that to me is is stupid like to have that law like that, because they changed the double jeopardy law to kind of cut down on the amount of like um, red card and penalty and suspension, like the triple punishment kind of thing. And and I, I supported that. And when you first see it, it's like, oh, OK, if you just do it deliberately, you're still getting sent off. And I think I think that's fine. There has to be a deterrent for defenders not to do that and not to think, well, you know, even if I get caught, they're still getting the same chance. There does have to be a punishment for that. But in this scenario, it's like, well, he hasn't gone for the ball. And it's like, well, yeah, he hasn't gone for the man either. <laughs> it's just it's just a collision of legs. And and like personally, and and this this is where it becomes an interesting debate. Personally, I'm a vibes guy when it comes to refereeing, right? <laughs> I want referees to be able to use their common sense and again none of us are stupid we know when someone has been a bastard and when they haven't now i accept in this scenario we're kind of saying well i'm not sure if louise has been like maybe 20 percent of a bastard and kind of gone "Mm, well if i collide with him maybe i do but for me a red card you should you should be a bastard to get sent off it should be violent conduct punching the ball off the line like bad persistent fouling which you've been warned about many times like you know or, or like really cynical deliberate professional foul those things should be red card my knee was slightly in the wrong place that should not be a red card it is by the laws so i don't really blame craig porson but and and then you get this and it's really unfortunate i guess for the fa that there were two very similar incidents on the same night because Southampton versus Man United happens, and Jan Bednarak very very similar. Yeah, and this I is the think, issue. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so initially, Mike Dean doesn't send him off. And I think that's because, um, you know, stand back from, from the heat of this take. I think it's because Mike Dean applies common sense. Southampton <laughs> are 6 nil down. What? Right? <laughs> they're 6 nil down, right? And the way he's refereed this, I think, is to go, fucking, they're 6 nil down. They're about to go 7 nil down. I don't need to send the guy off for this. It's just, It's just pointless. It's not worth it. But they know, and I'm sure, right, that this happened in the VAR room. I'm sure they were going, fuck, we sent a guy off for this like three hours ago. And Arsenal Twitter is watching <laughs> and but going, what are you going to do? it. That's the part I <laughs> well, don't get okay. and not ours. <laughs> so, so, so the explanation for why they rescinded it, that, that, that I haven't seen from the FA or, or anything like that, but um, Dale Johnson, who's a really good follower on Twitter for these things from ESPN, he, he predicted before that Bednarak would get overturned and Louise wouldn't. And the reason he predicted that was he said there was no contact in the Marshall incident. Basically, Marshall dived and And so it's the VAR who should have picked that up. But I think, whereas with Louise, there is contact, therefore there's reasonable doubt. And therefore, when there's reasonable doubt, they Mm. don't overturn things. Whereas with Martial, there's no contact. He's dived. But I think what poisons this is personally, and, and I'm just interpreting this, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I think that usually they wouldn't send Bednarak off. I think they did it because of the Louise incident a few hours earlier and they panicked and went, fuck, we've got to send him off because otherwise everyone's like, everyone's the consistency. Us- yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And actually that was it's the stupid bad. thing to do. And what it's they also- should do is just go, right, okay, this incident, yep, people are going to say that, but people are always going to say that. It's not a red card. We don't send him off. So I, I think there's a bit of a mess here. And the lesson and this is the lesson to go deeper with you on VAR in general. Do not fucking pander to people who think there are conspiracy theories because you can't make them happy. No. They don't want to be happy. They want to think there is a conspiracy against their clubs. Stop pandering to those people stop trying to consider them they will always just come back to it being a conspiracy referee how you think it should be refereed and and personally and look i i i know that not everyone agrees with me on this i would just love it if we were just able to say like look as a referee you know when that guy's been a bastard and you know when he deserves a red card and when he doesn't and you know if if people on twitter go oh it's inconsistent fuck them like they're not coming to your house fuck them like it like you know they're they're always gonna say that and you brought in var largely because of those people and are they happy are they fuck so learn your lesson stop trying to please people who cannot be pleased and just officiate the games properly and rewrite that double jeopardy rule and get a lawyer to look at it mm. i um it's my sermon I, I, I am can i come back on something please do the denial of goal scoring opportunity the, the, here's where i have an issue with that maybe not half of goals or half of penalties, but 20%, 25%. Like, look at Saka's penalty that he didn't get. That's not a denial of goal-scoring opportunity. He's beaten everybody else. There's just one defender, and Saka's through going one-on-one with the keeper if he's not taken down. How is it not the same? It may be not as good a goal-scoring opportunity, but he's about to shoot at the keeper if he's any smarts. And... 
have a shot on goal. It doesn't matter that the guy's th- that in the Wolves situation, he's central and coming across the penalty spot. Saka is going one-on-one with the keeper if he's not taken down. How is it not the same? I mean, I I, I think the Saka one should be a penalty. I I don't... It's I mean, hard, it right? should not we're, we're... be a penalty. It should, my point is, it, should, it wasn't going to be a red card, but... So candidly, Paul, about... you're describing a situation that I'm not looking at right now, so I'm going purely on recollection. I think we all kind well, of know the difference yeah, between a I mean, denial of a clear too, goal-scoring opportunity. Clear sure, goal-scoring opportunity is the, there's no one between. There's no. I mean, look. Let's be. Let's be fair. If there if is that, nobody if between, Louise makes no contact with that player, it is literally him and the keeper. That is not the situation in the sack one because, for for, it is. for one thing, the defender who makes Sorry, the foul. It is no, the, but, but no, Paul, the defender. There's nobody between Saka. The defender who makes the foul is between him and the keeper. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but same with Luis. No, he's behind him. The, the only difference is that the you can argue in this case that he goes for the ball. Wait, which wait, he does. wait, but wait, you see my distinction, right? Like in the in the Luis case, Luis is literally behind the player running in on goal. In the Saka case, the defender who commits the foul is between Saka and the keeper. He's not. He's, he's behind Saka, but he's he's not as far behind. Am I Saka misremembering it, Clive? Just come back in here for a second. Am I misremembering this? Is Saka in on goal? No, he's not. He's out. He's out wide a little bit. He's trying to get the penalty quite rightly. He's trying to get there first. But why then, is he um, not in on goal? He's running towards goal. Well, it's he, it's not as good an angle. But so what? That's not yeah, in the rules. The, the ball's also been pushed out hasn't it the ball hasn't gone towards the goal the goal the ball's been pushed out so no 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 it's not as clear Pepe is too sorry Pepe is wider than him the ball is towards goal it's not as good an angle the the main difference in this is that the defender goes for the for the ball but there's so many penalty situations in which you're denying a goal scoring uh, opportunity and they don't get red cards this is only because uh, Luis is further behind because it looks more egregious, but it's the same situation. Hence my view that the the ref has interpreted this situation. He, he hasn't done the letter of the law, except in that lots of other situations, if, this, if that's the letter of the law, then those should be red cards and sendings off. I mean, it's just a shitty law. It's, yeah, it's not consistent. He's just further behind and it's more egregious. Yeah. On the Saka one, yeah, go, what go happened ahead. was, he, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but on the Saka one, the referee thought that the defender, I think it was Bowley, wasn't it? He um, got a touch and he gave a corner, right? When VAR looked at it, they probably thought, you know what, he's inconclusive, he got a touch or not, we won't go against the referee. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So it's all back down to VAR, mate. VAR is the, the cloud over the game that stops... Him getting what he'd like. Every game got its own temperature. Every game is different. Every game, one foul doesn't mean exactly the same thing. With VAR, there's guys sitting there with the rule book, and they're the ones that tap Mike Dean on the shoulder and said, by the way, if you've given a penalty, in that scenario, come and look at it, because we think it's a clear goal-scoring decision uh, opportunity. Now, didn't once you've given a penalty, we're not going to overturn the penalty, but if you need to think about what you're doing here, and that's what happened... So VAR is the umbrella, I'm afraid, over the game. It's, and it's a protective state that protects each other. And it's now impacting the product that we're watching. And the real debate, the real debate, is around VAR and is around what it's doing to the flow of the game of football. 
Now, yeah. what it's doing to how many games that we watch that have major turning points, which would never happen with the human eye. And too many games are ending with 10 men. I know we're the Arsenal fans, so we're saying that. And then you, are, you ask yourself, in a, in a serious period when we're all going through a pandemic and we watch every single game, I think a lot of people are falling out of love with some of the product that they're actually seeing. And I think VAR's got a lot to do with that. But that's, a, that's another feature, maybe another podcast, but it definitely mm. over, <laughs> underpinned this decision, in my opinion. The, the irony is that in our game, you know, not in the other games, but in our game, VAR just confirmed the, the decision that was made on the pitch, right? So we didn't actually get screwed by VAR in, in the sense that VAR, that the referee is the one who screwed us. And then VAR just let the referee screw us, essentially. Um, so, but, well, Paul, you want to weigh back in on this? Not really. I just okay. think it's a, a shitty law, a shitty yeah, rule. I agree with that. That isn't consistently applied. There are lots of penalties that deny goal-scoring opportunities. And the, I'm sorry, they do. And the guy is through, but they don't give you a red card because it doesn't look egregious like this one does. Yeah, no, by the way, I agree with you. I think what it, what's the, the only reason I push back on that is I think there's a lot of things to take issue with here, and you're picking out the one that's probably the lowest on my list, the highest on my list just the, being the that, reason like, I, this is I bring too it up harsh is a punishment. I, yeah, but the reason I bring it up is because there is inconsistencies and referees make decisions all the time. So yeah. I think he has a chance to say, uh, fuck it, like it's accidental, I'm not sending them off. Yeah. No, I, I get it. Look, can, yeah, go, go ahead. Tim, can please. I mm -hmm. just, just add on this just like really, really quickly? One, one thing I, I absolutely think is that in football at the moment, in the Premier League, it is too easy to get a penalty and it's too easy to get a red card. Totally agree. And I'm I'm turning a lot of games off. This I hate to be one of those killing the game people um, who then just tunes into the next game and watches it. I'm turning loads of games off this year just because... A, the games are quite boring to watch because it's so easy to get a foul. I'm just watching so much. Have the ball in the halfway line. Wait for the opponent. Stick your ass out. Down I go. Free kick. Like lots of breaking the rhythm up, and just the the, the level of penalty, um, like penalties and red is just ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. Like it's gone totally out of whack, and I think it's making a lot of games like I I look at them like a bit comically, a bit quizzically, like I watch WWE um, now. And and to Clive's point, like I, I, I haven't really enjoyed the Premier League um, this season very much at all. And I don't think that's just the pandemic context. I think the game is fundamentally changing and we're having these discussions too much. And personally, m maybe I'm just mad, but I like football. I like watching football and I'm just not seeing a lot of football. Yeah, I think I think it'd be interesting, but if you were willing to radically reshape football, I would shrink the penalty box because what really drives me crazy is like a guy with his back to goal is one foot inside the penalty box and someone touches his ankle and he goes down and that's a penalty. That's a 70%, you know, 80%. In a game where one goal means so, so much to basically give a team a goal for things that happen in situations that aren't a threat to the goal doesn't feel equitable. Look, the reality of this game, though, is that, like, okay, we we were dumb. We brought that on ourselves. Leno kicks it too soon. Louise jumps contests the ball he doesn't need to. Holdings in no man's land does a few pirouettes. The ball is perfectly weighted. We get super unlucky. Louise makes some contact. It's not intentional, but fine. It's penalty. It's it's that we go down to 10 men from that. And it, 
the idea that the game... I understand. If you want to be mad at anything, more than the refs, more than VAR, be mad with the laws of the game. But that that's fine. I mean, it just it took a half that should have been our best half of football this season and just a a verification of the, the improvement in our play, a, a confirmation of this run. And that second half, I you know what it bothered me? This is going to sound so dumb. From a purely entertainment standpoint, I could not wait to watch another half of that. I could not wait to watch what we would do, especially with Wolves having to push the ball forward a little more. And... So maybe let's just finish with with the second half super quick, guys, because I don't think there's much to talk about the second half. I mean, we know Leno got sent off, and you know that's a boneheaded error. It just is what it is. He made a mistake. He misjudged it. You know, raining like crazy, uh, wet pitch, you know, greasy pitch. I think um, you know he had made a slight error earlier before where he palmed it straight out in front of the goal instead of around the post. But he's been excellent, so I'm not going to pick on Leno. But you know, one thing I will say, Paul, is that. In terms of how we played, the Southampton game when we were down to 10 men in December or November, whatever it was, I felt we rode our luck. We sat in our penalty area. They outpassed us like 500 to 20, and we just Mm. cravenly held on for a point. Now, to be fair, we had a point to hold on to. In this game, we get very unlucky because not only do we go down to 10 men, but Moutinho scores a goal. He won't score again in the next five seasons to give them the lead. Wolves were doing that every bloody game for a while, and then they gave up a few months ago, and then they fucking... Take it up in this game. Yeah, but the point is, like, I was even encouraged by how we played down to 10 and 9 men. We still yeah. played some football. We still tried to get I think I think the Pepe substitution was wrong. I, I think Smith Rowe could have come off. But all in all, I mean, were, are you at least encouraged by the way we persisted with the football? I mean, there were some... Yeah. Look, if you want to nitpick, Aubameyang on the left didn't look particularly fit. I don't know that I understood that one, leaving Smith Rowe on. Again, not totally sure about it. But by and large, I felt that if you contrast how we played with 10 men against Southampton and with this, like you, you see a different team just even in the way we responded to going down to 10 and nine men. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. We had a confidence in our football. We kept playing them. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't think the Obama Yang substitution was helpful. Um, I was fine with Smith Rowe doing his thing. Uh I wouldn't have made that change. I would have kept the guys playing as it was. I, I know you want to bring on the the captain and, and kind of for him to play and role in this and to be a part of this. Um, but really, I, I didn't feel that was the helpful substitution because he's not a high-touch player. Um, he's not a guy who holds possession and keeps you uh, away from having to kind of uh, sit back and defend, but we, no, we continued to play. We had confidence in our football, and I really liked that aspect of it. And there we were into uh, added time, and we absolutely had had a chance or or situation where we could get back into this and get a draw. Um, it is a weird thing about football that when you've nothing to lose, you don't actually throw everything at it with two, three minutes to go. I mean, we had, you know, Arteta at one stage had to wave the players up the pitch and stuff. And it's like, you know, the hockey pulling the keeper thing. I don't just mean sending the keeper up for, for like corners and things, but like just the whole team. I mean, like, screw it. Let's, let's stay up the pitch for the last couple of minutes and, and try and make something happen here. But that's, that's not an Arsenal thing. That's a football thing. When, when there's a goal, when a goal can get you a result and you're still in it with two or three minutes to go, 
Um, I think there's a different kind of thinking in football that wasn't displayed here. I mean, sure, we went up for a ball or two, or we pushed, but we didn't do anything dramatic in terms of how we were set up. But mm-hmm. hey, we, you know, you're into 90-something minutes, and we were weirdly strange still in this with nine players. And I just hope that uh, we don't let the whole uh, the shit that came from this as we've seen maybe in the 2008 season uh, where things went bad, that this team has a resilience and a mindset to take the positives out of this. I mean, it's great that the fans are taking the positive out of it. And I hope that that vibe passes to the team that we loved what they did in this game. Um, There were mistakes. There are things we could improve, but like what they're doing now, the, the football they're playing. Thank you. Keep doing it. Do more of it. We'll stick with you. Um, that's what I took out of it. To your point on the second half, we believed in our football. We kept playing. We didn't say. Even at nine nine men, we played football. Yeah. So fair fucks to them. Aubameyang and Saka had shots blocked in the box at the death, you know, to, to, yeah. to get a point out of this game. And, you know, I mean, Clive, I don't know that there's a lot to take away from the way we played in the second half because of the situation other than that. I saw a team that still wanted to play a little bit of the football and did the best we could under the circumstances. Um, but I, I, I want to just quickly praise Granite Shaka for the second half. I mean, he just... Look, I, I'm, not, I'm not a Shaka guy. I, I, I don't think that surprised anybody. But <laughs> We get it. We yeah. get it already. But look, but he, he has really stepped up in his partnership with Party, and I think some of it is just letting Party do more of the, you know the things that he's better at doing. But in the second half... Shaka kept tackling, he kept running, he kept passing forward, he kept, he he played that second half like he was two players, and like there was still something to fight for, and, you know, I think that, that really carried through to the squad in general, and I'm not going to say it was some blistering second half that we played, I mean, they had more of the balls you'd expect, but I was really impressed by him, so if you had to pick out anything from the second half, and there's not much there for the obvious reasons, would his performance be, be one of them? Because I, I felt he really showed a, a lot of leadership in that second half and continuing to play. Yeah, I was struggling with the second half emotionally and just because of the missed opportunity, we can see what was happening and I think maybe the players were a little bit mentally fatigued to see Klopp was talking about that and I, I tend to agree with them. You, there's so many games at the moment. I think some players just find it very hard to be consistent but Granny Shackles, you know, he has his moments when he's dressed but he's always available, touch wood of injury and when he has a... He used to have derailment moments, but he's having less of those moments. So he has a level of consistent performance. He may not like it. He may not like the direction it goes. But what's really become apparent that tactically he adjusts really quickly and really smartly. And he's really adjusted to party coming on board. And he fills that left side brilliantly and gets us going. And his role's really clear. But he's doing other things as well defensively but he seems to be within a much more comfortable zone. He just doesn't seem as stressed out. And um, he looks good, right? So I spend half my life looking at alternatives and upgrades right? <laughs> in certain positions, and that's one, and ten four is another. And I watched Basuma last night against Liverpool. And Basuma's really, really good. He's sprinty, he's quick, he, he can shoot, he can switch play. Not in the same way, but he's, he's not Granite Xhaka. He sits there and he waits for the ball and he waits for collisions and he waits for moments to go and get them. And so people are thinking, you know, Granit Xhaka's got a unique football profile. He's annoyed the death out of me for many, many years. 
But of all those squatters that have been around, he's the one that's stayed around. He stayed around because he gets the game around him. He gets what's required. He may not all be able to do it all the time. and He's been allowed to do too much. It's no coincidence with a partner that's very similar to his Swiss international partner and how he plays. He suddenly looks like the Swiss captain that which he is. And again, it's something that we've said on this podcast, isn't it? You know, and, and, and I'm not the only one that said that. Lots of people out there have said it. I looked at some of my 2018 tweets today talking about Zachariah and how it would help Xhaka and other people have done this too. And it, again, it annoys me. It takes so long for us to find these partnerships, right? So we've gone to Guendouzi Traera route. Never looked like working to me. So Bias, okay, in the back three maybe. They can be protected. Since Ramsey in the back three, one in front, there's no one that's made him look this good, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, fair play to him. He's, he's managed to stay around the club like Arsenal for I don't know how many appearances, but he's made his career work, and I always respect footballers that can do that. Yeah, and I mean, given that we don't have the perfect solution for partnering with Party, I mean, we have Ceballos, who I rate, but he's on loan, and, you know, I don't know if he's been fantastic. Um, we have Elneny, who I don't, don't rate. It, it's slim pickings. And Shaka being good with party is important because for right now, there's no other solution. You know, if Brighton want to loan us uh, Basuma, <laughs> I'd, take, I'd take him. Um, sadly, that's not going to happen. Uh, Tim, last last point here. Um, the, the table was probably a bit of a false table even going into this. The, the sixth place team, seventh place team, eighth place team, ninth place team, 11th place team, and 12th place team have either two or one game in hand over us in 10th. Um, had we gone on to 34 mm. points here, it is entirely possible that when it was all said and done, we'd still be in 10th. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. it, it just would have looked really nice. We would have been ahead of Tottenham. We would have been sitting in four, in seventh, two points off sixth place Everton, but with all those teams having two games in hand. And again, you'd rather have the three points and not. I guess what I'm asking you is, how realistic was a, a march up the table anyway and in the light of this happening, what do you feel is realistic now? Because the one thing I would say is whenever people say, oh, you know, anything can happen. We're, we're playing well now. You know, OK, we need to play at a 2.7 point pace or whatever it is to to get to Champions League. But why not? Well, the why not is because, unfortunately, football is cruel and you can be the better team and lose, you know, like we did to Wolves and mm-hmm. go down to nine men and then have it cascade and have impacts on future games. So, um do, do you think this changes much? And and if so, what what is what do you think is still realistic in terms of the Premier League, especially with the Europa League on the horizon and having to think about balancing that? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I think you're right, like not to obsess too much over the table at the moment because of the, the different number of games that teams have played. I think I, I tend to think that like teams and players think like this to a large extent anyway, but it really is one of those just get as many points as you can. <laughs> and see where you are at the end of the season and not obsess too much over whether you're 10th, 11th or 9th at a, at a particular time. Cause yeah, you can I think Villa have got three games in hand over us at the moment. Mm. Um, but, but I mean, that can change. We could have a COVID outbreak um, at the end of February and that could all change and Villa could lose all of their games. And so I, I don't think we can obsess too much over that as for like balancing the Europa league and all of that. I am not a fan of that at any stage. Um, I don't think it works. I, ju- I just don't. I just don't think it works when you start, you know, I, I, I can maybe understand it in April. 
um when you get to a stage where it's like okay we're we're just gonna we're just gonna focus on this and we're gonna forget the league games i like i just don't think i just don't think that works i think what what you need is rhythm at the end of the season because everyone is tired everyone is tired at the end of the season and so the best thing you can have is rhythm and for me um you know playing important games often is the best way to get that having like a big game then a dead game then a big game i just don't think it works um i just don't think it works like that at all we are absolutely certainly not at that stage not not by a long long shot um do i think that i think that you know finishing sixth for example and getting in the europa league very like absolutely eminently possible i i agree like i I think i read something like if we win every game we get like 79 points or something and obviously we're not going to win every game but even that is that's that's not an enormous total of points you know relative to getting in the top four or whatever It, it might be this year but you know it's we're looking at another fairly meager points haul but i i just think i think i just think you can't do that particularly if if you're a big club what you want is your players playing every three days and playing like their life depends on it. I think that's the culture you've got to have. Um, and, and also I just kind of think, I mean, I also think that in terms of finances, when we've just come off the back of the season where there is going to be zero gate revenue, like zero, even the two, maybe is it two or three games where 2000 people are allowed in Arsenal lost money on those games because it costs more money to have the staff, but obviously they did it because, um, you know, they wanted to prove that they could. So they lost money on those games. So the gate revenue is less than zero this year because no one's going to games before the end of the season. Mm. So getting into Europe is very, very important by hook or by crook. And so we can't give up on it. But also, if, you know, if you're Arsenal, if you're an Arsenal player at the moment, I, I just think it would look, I, I would feel fucking rotten if my club and my manager turned around to me and said, you know what? Only 50% of the games are meaningful from now on. Like, I, I wouldn't want to play like that, um, quite frankly. Not not if I if I was, you know, not unless I was playing at like a mid-table club uh, where I thought, oh, okay, maybe this is like my leg up to somewhere else. I just don't think you can do that. I think that you, the culture you've got to get into is we are in high performance mode all the time and we don't just slip in and out of it. I just don't think it works that way. Mm. So for me, um, just balls to balancing it until maybe like late April when it's like, okay, this guy, he's got, a, he's carrying a bit of a calf injury and we might have a final in three weeks if things go right. I, I think that's when you judge those margins. January, February, March. Nope, you don't do that. I think the only place it could, and I, I mostly agree, Tim. But let's say we had won this game, won thirty-four points, and let's say somehow we beat Villa and Leeds. Um, I, I say somehow, not like it can't happen. The way we're playing, we can beat anybody right now. I really believe that. I am that encouraged. But you know, good teams, tough games. Um, some players out, some players suspended. But let's say we did that. Then you go into a situation where it's Benfica on a Thursday, City on a Sunday. Benfica on a Thursday, Leicester away on a Sunday. And if we've won all of those games, including the Wolves game, and you're sitting on 40 points, and you're really, really genuinely looking at, like, even fourth being very much a thing, do you look at the City and Leicester games at the weekend and say, that's the one I'm going to make sure I'm fresh for? I, I, I I don't know. I don't know that you can do that, because getting knocked out of the Europa League would 
absolutely take the wind out of your sails too. And I, I don't know what you do, but uh, Tim, look, I, I totally get you. Every game is important. When you play Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, you may have to make some rotational decisions. And which game you choose mm. to use that 1A player, you know, can Thomas Party play yeah, Thursday, yeah. Th Sunday, Thursday, Sunday? I mean, he, he can. Can Smith Rowe? You know, again, I mean, I don't know. Clive, am I am I out of my mind here? I mean, do you... Yeah, let's see what happens when we get to it, right? And yeah. It's, uh, I think it'll all be obvious when we get there, depending on results. I think we'll all fall into a natural strategy, as will the club, as will the players, as will the coach. It all depends on results and, and momentum and who's in the red zone, who's not. What draw we get in Europa League if we get past Benfica? You know, if we get an easy draw, then suddenly I'll do a minute or in the semi-finals, wherever it is, right? So, and everything changes. So it'll become really clear where we are now in a, in a January, which is, was it January, February? I'm not sure it is anymore. <laughs> uh, early February, sorry. February, yeah. Because of you know, the amount of games, what's this? We're probably about three, four weeks behind where we normally are, you know, so from a date perspective. So, hey, look, just to, it'll all become clear depending on the results and how we play and who's available, etc. Personally, I'm I'm comfortable being outside of Europe next year. I'm comfortable being in it. Um, I think it's an opportunity with this, in the, with the strategy and the nature of what we're doing to potentially jump into the Champions League next season, so I don't want nothing in the way. But I totally understand that people think otherwise, and that's that's fine by me. Um, but if we get if we win the Europa League, that's the perfect scenario for me this season. Win the Europa League, chop a year off of our recovery strategy, back in the Champions League, and we go again. Yeah, and and I mean, look, it, it is it, it is the case in my view that now, right now, other than maybe Thomas Party, we have some choices that I don't feel terrible about, as long as William doesn't play. Kidding, kidding. I meant Runnerson. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. He did fine too, but yeah. There are definitely some favorites. That's okay. Um, look, I'm going to pull the curtain back just really quickly here and make the point that we started the pod uh, by saying we were going to implement this structure. And uh, as we were doing it, I was like, nah, fuck this, it stinks. So we just kind of had a conversation. And, uh, you know, the illusion of structure may have felt like structure, but I assure you, <laughs> there was none. Uh, we'll try it again later. I, I, it just wasn't working for me, so I apologize for that. Um, anything else, guys? I think we're good, right? Yep. Elliot, could yep. I add one quick thing? I'd like course, to apologize to the nicest man in Arsenal Twitter uh, and the, uh, the one of the smartest football minds, Clive, for trying to savage him on the whole penalty thing. I, I'm very upset. I think we're all very upset. Let me tell you how upset I was. Mm -hmm. I only just found out during our podcast that Man United won 9-0 because <laughs> I, I swear to God, you guys said, I'm like, hang on a second. And I went, that's how in a ball I have been. The only thing I've been able to do since the game was I did manage to watch the first half and, and the start of the second half. And it was a bit cathartic. But anyway, um, yeah. I love you, Clive. And mm. and we're all in this together. And, and we turn on each other, but we should be turning on them. I, I have to be honest <laughs> with you. I didn't even realize any of us had turned on one another. That's how used to uh, the internecine aspect of this podcast <laughs> I am. But you know, go, go figure. Um, look, here, here's what you can do. You can sign up for our Patreon and make our day that way. Or you can um, not do that and still make our day because you listen to this and we love you either way. So uh, we'll leave it at that. Tim's on Twitter. Stoberto, thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. If you need a little cuddle after being savaged by Paul to such a great extent that I wasn't aware it happened, let me know. I can I can come come around. Uh, Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paul. 
My name is Elliot Smith, the uh, deliverer of the most awkward advertisements in all of podcasting, I like to think. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, I'm excited to watch this play next, guys. I just, right now, I just, you know, this is one of those moments. It's been a long time where I was like, I wish we could play tomorrow and just and just go rampage somebody. And Villa just lost to West Ham. So who knows? Maybe, maybe that game presents an opportunity to us. We shall see. We love you. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Villanova. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.